in the morning. When you want the news, you need the front page every hour on the press box. Nothing's writing on this except the uh, First Amendment, the Constitution, freedom of the press, and maybe the future of the country. Not that any of that matters. And now, the news. It is finally official. The Big 12 has added four members. BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, and Central Florida have been accepted into the Big 12. Uh, BYU put out a release this morning that said all of their sports will join the Big 12 for the 2023 2024 BYU did seasons yes so that would mean BYU would play two more years as an independent in football WCC and in the WCC for all their other sports but then everything they have will be joining the Big 12 in 2023 2024 do you think it's going to be a situation much like we believe with Texas and Oklahoma that they'll jump early I have to imagine that's what happens I think is I think this is just sort of the official language if Texas and Oklahoma do, in fact, leave after this year for the SEC, then I think that this this will be sped up and these four teams will be joining much earlier. Do you think BYU will have to spend $30 million? No. They do have a buyout. I'm sure the they WCC, have a buyout. I don't know if it's, it's $30 like, million. Dollars. It's like, a, it's like $1.5 uh, or something like that. The poor like little that. WCC, yeah. one so and a half mil. It's significantly <laughs> yes. less than the $30 million Texas and Oklahoma are going to have to pay to leave the Big 12 early. But... As of now, 2023-2024 is when those schools would join the Big 12. What is interesting about that timeline, and again, we do expect this to change, but if if everything played out as the timelines are officially announced, Texas and Oklahoma are still in the Big 12 until 2025. So if it plays out like that, then that would mean BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, and Central Florida would, would be in for two years with them? They would be in the Big 12 with Texas and Oklahoma for a couple of years, and they would get some of that buyout money from Texas and Oklahoma. No chance. They're going to jump early. Leave. I expect that yeah. to happen too. So we'll see how this timelines actually end up playing out here. But as it stands officially, the Big 12 would have, what would that be, 16 yeah. teams for a couple seasons. I wonder if they know it all along, and that's why they made this timeline what it is. Right. That they must know they're leaving early. They right. don't care about the money. They'll pay it off. Yeah. So Big 12 has officially expanded. No UNLV, though. Man, you know, that's a great question. TJ Watt and the Steelers agreed to a new deal, a four-year contract, $112 million. It's about $28 million per year. $80 million of that is guaranteed for TJ Watt. So the Steelers, I guess, relented on their policy not to give out that much guaranteed money and did, in fact, give out $80 million in guaranteed money to keep T.J. Watt in Pittsburgh. Yeah, we both agreed yesterday he's their best player. He deserved to get paid, so $28 million a year. Good for him, and you move forward. You're right. Uh, uh, the Roonies have not been ones to kind of relent or you know fold on these kind of negotiations, but Big Ben coming out might have put a little pressure on saying, look, this is why I took a cut. You have to do this, or I wouldn't have taken the $5 million cut. So good for T.J. Watt. He, he, uh, he needs to be paid as the highest player on the team because he's their best player. Are you telling me you don't have to trade your best edge rusher when he wants a new contract? If you do trade, don't in, don't include picks that you're giving back. Please don't do that. <laughs> that never that never seems to work out for people. Hey, you get a Sloan <laughs> Analytics Award. I'm out. Also did want to mention, the U.S. Open women's final is going to be between... Emma Raducanu, an 18-year-old from England, and Layla Fernandez, a 19-year-old from Canada. An all-teenage final in the U.S. Open. Layla's getting some Twitter love, and people just have 
all behind her, man. What a great story, the Canadian. She had, So she had sort of the tougher path to get here. She took down, I think it was four straight in the top 20, ranked yeah. in the top 20. Emma Raducanu had a slightly easier path, but Raducanu still hasn't dropped a set. She had to play, I think it was three or four qualifying matches just to get into the main draw. So she's played like nine or 10 matches, has not dropped a set yet. Like she has been unbelievably dominant for an 18 year old it's funny because the first question or one of the first questions I, i'm sure you saw this afterwards to the young canadian was you know who would you rather play in the final she goes what do i care about that it's like, I'm, in the final. I'm in the final of the u.s open just give me somebody no, my favorite was radicano she had a quote i think after she won her quarterfinal match that she was like, yeah, I, I had booked my flights home for oh, after the, the qualifiers. I'm sure. <laughs> like, the qualifiers. Like two weeks ago. <laughs> She's like, I didn't think I'd still be here, but I guess it's That's a good problem awesome. to have. So, awesome. yeah, it's 18 years old versus 19 years Different. old in the U.S. Open final. That's crafty wording right there. I give you credit. <laughs> 29 of the 30 NFL stadiums will be cashless this season the only stadium that will accept cash is going to be soldier field in chicago are you surprised how quickly we have moved for our, our sports venues have moved to being completely cashless i guess i'm not surprised as cashless as i'm hoping that more and more people or more and more teams follow the raiders uh in terms of having to be vaccinated cashless you can do pretty easily at that level uh in those stadiums but we uh, talked to the new Raiders president yesterday, and he did say that a ton of teams had called, not to not to say that they were going to follow the lead, but to say, hey, we kind of want to see how this goes, like how what's the response? We know 1,800 or so have already asked for the refunds, which he thought was a low number, which I think is a low number, yeah. too. You got, you're talking like that many season ticket holders. But he said a lot of teams did call and ask, you know, why did you do it? How are you going to do this? They asked about the clear situation where you're getting in unclear so cashless i'm not surprised at because again that's not a very difficult thing to do but the all vaccinations i would hope more teams follow that and they haven't you not not many no i am next week going to seattle going to the seahawks titans game they're not vaccination they right? are doing vaccination or proof of negative test to get in um, oh so so not just getting not the shots just that you you tested you, and you're yeah negative. you you either have to show hey i'm vaccinated or you have okay. to show hey i have tested just took a test and negative and i think it's 72 hours okay but they're also using the clear app they're also okay. you can upload your vaccination info to the clear app and get in that way to seattle but they're also in seattle uh whatever king county has a mask mandate so Seahawks game is like I'm going to show proof of vaccination, and then everybody's supposed to be wearing, You're wearing your mask in there as well. Supposedly, the county has a I think right, it's more mandate. than 500 people in the one area have to be you have to have masks on, even if it's out. When you come back, I'll be interested to see the percentage because I think it'll be low. That's what I'm fascinated. To I see think it'll too, be low because that's we talked about a lot. That's a yeah. big reason why we think the Raiders went to the uh, yeah. the vaccine mandate because yeah. the mask mandate is just yeah. it seems impossible to enforce. We talked about the exhibition exhibition game yeah. against Seattle. And uh, as I was looking through the crowd, like I, and, and and that goes back to Mark Davis's, and this is why I think one of the reasons they did it. Mark Davis consistently saying, "There's no way you can police yeah. this. There's no chance. You can't tell yeah. people that many people to put masks on when they're drinking beer and, and eating and and whatever they're doing." Yeah, so I'll be fascinated to see that. Now on the proof of vaccination, I know the Seattle Kraken, they have come out and said proof they of are. vaccination. They, Good for them. And no no alternative for a negative test. They have said proof of vaccination 
or you don't get to come. And that's in a much smaller venue. Right. So we have seen a few other teams across all sports. I don't have no no other NFL team has done it. No, not proof of vaccine, not not complete proof of vaccination. I know. I know the Saints are just like the Seahawks where you either have to show proof of vaccine or or a negative negative test. But I don't think anybody else has done the strictly vaccinated or nothing. What has VGK done? A couple masks? I don't care about your next question. Speaking of vaccination, the Raiders are 100% vaccinated, wow. according to Vinny Bonsignore. They are the third NFL team to hit 100% with players. Does that mean Jalen Richard got vaccinated? I, or is he on the long-term IR and he's no longer considered part of the team? I think he still counts because he's still. they didn't waive him. They didn't cut him. I mean... I don't know what he is other than rolling around on a scooter in the facility. Because ten times I've seen that guy you going. To, well, I see. I, I have not seen a big man on a treadmill, but I have seen him on one of those scooters, like going. They stretch indoors, and it's all glass encased on one side. And we believe we've seen him two or three times going by on a scooter behind the glass, which is a very strange. Like it's almost like you knew that was Deshaun knew that was Richie Incognito probably, and I think probably it's Jalen Richard going back and forth on a scooter, which is bizarre. Wait, when you say scooter. You know, one of those. You mean like the people? What people use instead of crutches? Yes. Where they yes. have like a foot. No, he's not like on one of those thirteen-year-olds okay. like wheeling like around, like doing scooter. jumps he's and stuff. Going. It would actually be great if he was doing jumps on it and stuff. But no, it's more like you put one leg up and you kind of push yourself. We're pretty sure that's him. Because why? Because why? It would be nobody else. <laughs> so, I also want to know, and we probably won't ever find this out. I want to know who the last player was. Like the Raiders, oh, the last player to get to 100%. the Raiders got oh. to like everybody but him. one, and it was one player left, and they were just looking at him like, yeah. "What the hell are you doing?" Yeah, might Don't have been him. The shot. It, my, I mean, listen, he Jalen Richard came out and was anti-vax like three years ago. Yeah, like the, anti-vax, not about COVID, just anti-vax. Period. Like three years ago. So we're making the assumption, but I think it's a pretty safe assumption. He was one of the last guys to get the vaccine yes. for COVID. He might have been very last. Might have been. I'll, I also would love it to be like, well, as soon as we wave that guy, we got to 100%. So do the T-shirts make sense now from last year? Crush the virus. Yes. They I actually, mean, they yes. crushed it. They not crushed last it. year, they did not make any sense <laughs> no. at all. The Raiders were doing <laughs> the exact Now you can opposite. wear those shirts you have. Now they can wear them with pride. <laughs> Bring them back out, John Gruden. Next question. Major League Soccer is going to have a playoff game on Thanksgiving that starts at the same time the Dallas Cowboys play on Thanksgiving. Fox is going to air this. Against the Raiders. Yeah. So Fox is going to air the early game. I don't remember who's playing in it, but I think they have the Lions. Fox is going to air the early game on Thanksgiving. And then turn around and air a Major League Soccer playoff game head-to-head with the Cowboys game. It's fascinating because in this country, even like even my family members that don't care about sports associate Thanksgiving with NFL football. With the Cowboys. I'm fascinated to see how Major League Soccer does because it's a sport that it has to try to find windows that don't go head-to-head with the NFL, but they are intentionally going head-to-head with the NFL to play a Thanksgiving well, playoff game. Why do I think the MLS game will do better than I think? And I don't know. I, I'm not saying it's going to get a one or a two or whatever, but I why do I think it's going to be better than people assume? Probably will. I mean, I they're going to be on Fox. They're yeah. going to be on People one People are of... going to go through the channels. Right. It's not like a channel you can't find. I mean, they're going to go through the channels, maybe even trying to find the Cowboy game. Yeah. I just think it's going to do better. Yeah. I, I think... mean, it's not going to beat the Cowboy no, game, but no. it's not going to come close to that. But for what people probably think it'll do, 
I'll we'll get the ratings afterwards, and I think it's going to do better than people yeah. think. I, I think it's I think it's a good move for Major League Soccer because I think they oh, will yeah. get more people if they try to put it on the Wednesday or the Friday around Thanksgiving. I think they're going to get a a better viewership. Now you're going to compare it. The like Cowboys are going to get thirty million viewers, and this is going to get you know one point five, right. and it's right. going to be a blowout in that comparison. But they might only get seven hundred fifty thousand if they put it on a Thursday night or a Wednesday night. So. It's an interesting tactic because for the most part, and it's not just Major League Soccer, but for the most part, all of our sports kind of run from going head-to-head with the Well, NFL. they're not going to get, like you said it perfectly, they're not going to get less than they would where they put it elsewhere, so you might yeah. as well put it on here and pick up a few more viewers. I yeah. mean, it's actually a good move. Yeah, so Major League Soccer, not afraid of the NFL? We'll see. Coming up <laughs> next, we'll jump into some of the NFL games to kick off week one. The scoreboard affects us. Uh, who we're playing affects us. Uh, the heat affects us. The media and what you guys write every day affects us. So we got to prove uh, that we can play and maintain intensity for 60 minutes in the game, do things the way we're supposed to do it. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN it's Las Vegas. Wait, that guy ever happy? Say, unless he's doing commercials? Not. Unless he's doing commercials and getting paid no, a lot of money? He's My not goodness. happy. How do you think you're so good? Know, you got to be just, unhappy to be good. Uh, he's just. Our even be- even Derek Carr, show, uh, Derek Carr was quoting him yesterday. Nick right Saban. Now, yeah. The best parts of our show is when one of us is unhappy. <laughs> Being unhappy leads to greatness. Come on, everybody there's else. A t- there's a t-shirt in there somewhere. Get it together. All right. NFL, we got game last night, but week one, full slate on Sunday. Are there any games you're looking forward to the most? Oh, good question. I want to see Justin Herbert. Like, I want to see, I want to watch him play. Yeah, they play Washington. Yeah. It's a good, good, good defense. Test, good first yeah. game for the Chargers. I want to see him. Cleveland, Kansas City. That's the good. one I'm, that's the one I'm looking forward to the most. Uh, review? S- simply because we had Austin Gale on. He's was, was big on Cleveland, having a legitimate shot, uh, shot to win that division. Browns should be good. Chiefs are obviously the team to beat in the AFC. Like that, I think is is a fun one to watch. I don't think the Browns go into Kansas City and win, but we'll see what uh, what Cleveland actually looks like. It'll be interesting team. because we've talked a lot about do running backs matter? They better run the ball because you give that guy the ball too much and he's just going to torch you. Well, I mean, so yeah, all Cleveland does is run yeah, the ball. So Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt better have good games because if not, uh, Pat Mose, it'll be interesting though because. Remember in Tampa, and you said this was like in Tampa, they kind of got physically taken apart a little by uh, by the Buccaneers. I think Kansas City's line's better this year, but they might run a little more or be more physical. I mean, I know you want him throwing as much as he can throw, but um, if you remember that game in the Super Bowl, like maybe they're a little different. And it's not as I don't know what the number is. I don't know if, what the total is. It's probably high anytime he, Mahomes plays. Um, but that yeah, that'll be a great game to watch. As long as there's no grapple in Kansas City for the game. <laughs> Grapple. I cannot believe we spent a whole week last year yeah, talking about grapple. grapple. And we watched a, what was it, a 13 to 10 game or something stupid yeah. like that between the Raiders and Browns? Yeah. Because they played in grapple. They're yeah. just making up weather in Cleveland when it's crappy there. Reasons why they're crappy. It's, by the way, it's a, the AFC West, it's an interesting first week because Kansas City's playing Cleveland. Obviously, they're favored, but that's a good first it's a good game. game. Chargers are going to Washington. Good game. Like they're, I don't think they win that game. I think Washington oh, really? wins. Yeah, I think Washington. I mean, it's a home game for Washington. Okay. I think they win. Broncos play the Giants. 
not really a good team. Got to go on the road to New New York. But the game the Broncos can win though. It should be a game they can win, but it's on the road in New York. And then the Raiders obviously play the Ravens. Like it's very much a prove it week for the AFC West. Like you could be walking out of this if the if the Raiders could be lose going, to the going Ravens. out one and three. Yeah. Well, you could be going out zero and four if Cleveland yeah. plays above its head. But you, I mean, you could have after this week a very simple setup that we kind of think is going to happen anyways, but. Chiefs win, all three teams lose outside of the Chiefs. That's that's the division, right? I mean, that's, is it that's, over? Yeah, that's the division. <laughs> well, we're done. It's we, over. Yeah. It's good. You just, you just play for a wild card. That'll be fun, I guess, the rest of the way. But that's done for. Should I find our friend Heidi Fang, who just sent me a meme that says the Dallas Cowboys have the worst record in the NFL? <laughs> Can I find her the fifty dollars that Adam Hill would like to find us for saying a name in a fantasy football? Hey, day? that's the good news about the Raiders not playing until Monday. Oh, night. they don't have the worst record. They can't no have it. They'll be undefeated. They'll yeah. be the last. Wow, undefeated. Yeah, they'll be the, the, one of the two last undefeated. Yeah. They, they got a chance here. They if they beat or win the Ravens, games, yeah. I should say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They haven't lost. They haven't lost. They haven't lost. They'll be one of the last 18 unbeaten teams in the NFL unless Man. there's ties. As long as we don't have ties. One of the last 18 unbeaten teams in the NFL. There's a headline. It is. It's a headline. Can they be the 18th best team in the league this year? Well, <laughs> they need to be about the 14th <laughs> best to get team in. in the league to get in the playoffs. But the 18th best team, that's about where they were last year. So that's probably where they'll be this year, too. Okay. I know you're... I know you're looking forward mostly to UNLV or Arizona State. I want to see Oregon, Ohio State, because Oregon against Fresno State, I'm like, is this going to be like a blowout? Like, when they made this game and they signed the contract with this game, no one thought it could be. I mean, I think people thought Ohio State would probably win. But, no, I don't know if anyone potentially thought what it could be. Yeah, Oregon, Ohio State's interesting because it's like, are we doing an entire season again at the Pac-12 not being relevant? Not being good, yeah, or against great teams, yeah. Like, if Oregon loses that game, what's the Pac-12 doing the rest of the year? I mean, hoping UCLA runs the table. I guess they've looked good so far. Yeah, they have. They did beat LSU, but like Oregon, if especially if Oregon loses this game by like twenty-one. Yeah, if they get run points, out. Then it's like, yeah, like that's not good. We're doing the same thing because yeah. then again, you're talking about can UCLA and Chip Kelly be good? Is Arizona State a contender? Like, it's a it gets really tough in the Pac-12 once you get beyond Oregon. So. That's a big one for just that conference as a whole and how legitimate they're going to be in the playoff conversation because, and that's, you, you go back to the whole college football playoff expansion conversation. A lot of that has to do with the PAC 12, not be, they're not relevant. You can't get in. Right. It's not. Yeah. And it's not even like, Oh, the PAC 12 always has the fifth or sixth highest no, ranked they team. Can't get and in. They just didn't get it. They're like not in the top no. 10 most of the time. Like they're not even sniffing the college football playoff. So that's a lot of the college football playoff expansion conversation is the Pac-12 not being relevant. It's a power conference that's not relevant in the playoff system. It's not relevant in the championship of the sport. And if Oregon loses that game, you're looking at a whole nother year of that, but you're even looking at, okay, you go to 12. Does it even matter if you get a team in and they're the 10 seed and they lose right. the first game to Notre Dame or right. whoever the hell is going to be the five or the six or the seven? Right. Like, it's just... I. As a conference, they've got to get a lot better at football. So it's a big game for, I mean, listen, if Oregon wins that game. Oh, it's a much different story. Completely different conversation. Oregon might be vaulting to the top of, hey, that team can actually get Get into the college football playoff. Ignore week one where they barely beat Fresno State. They beat Ohio State. They could get in. But I don't think that happens. Now, UNLV can watch two games that have, they have interest before they get the kickoff at Arizona State, 1.30 this time, uh, uh, Pacific on on ABC. Iowa, Iowa State. A top 10 match. The look ahead.
the look ahead. Oh, Iowa State's not overlooking Iowa, are they? They're looking ahead to the big <laughs> game with not. UNLV. I hope not. <laughs> well, I mean, look, they, they barely beat Northern Iowa. We might be overshooting Iowa State. Maybe they're just not that good. It's a trap game. They've been looking two weeks. Two weeks they've been looking ahead to UNLV. Yes. Back Northern to back Iowa, trap like, games. <laughs> Listen, when you put UNLV on the schedule, it's the only one that matters. You can lose the rest of them. As long as you beat UNLV, it's a good season for Iowa State. The only one that matters. I told you, uh, we don't, I don't know if we have the sound, but the last time they played Iowa State, I was there. And uh, this was the Mike Sanford running back out on the field, tripping over the TV wire and screaming, I need to see the athletic director from Iowa State, who, by the way, at that point was home having a sandwich because it was like 20 minutes after the game. And why would he be sticking around? Uh, and he said, we are not leaving the field. We are not leaving the field. Eventually, they left the field. I was upset completely just because of deadline. I didn't really care what the hell they were doing on the field, but uh, there was a controversial call at the end, and uh, Mike Sanford went all the way into the building, and Mark Anderson and I were running after him to get some quotes. He spun around and run right past back past us, went down the stairs, boom, hits the TV wire. While looking for the Iowa State yes. AD. <laughs> Which you had no chance because of finding. He, he was going to talk them into, yes. hey, this game is yes. not over. The officials were in the shower. <laughs> The AD was home, and he wanted to talk them into this game isn't over. It's like, yes, it is. Please give us quotes. <laughs> but I do like the concept of I'm going to find their athletic director. He's going to change this for me. Like, what's he going to do? He's going to say, yeah, you're right. Get back out here, referees. Yeah. Like, he even, even if the Iowa State AD agreed with him, he doesn't have the no. power to make the refs come back out onto the field. You could not see the refs at that point. They were gone. <laughs> of course. They I don't were. even remember the call, but I think it might have actually, he might have actually had a, a really good case, but at that point, the game's over and just get your team off the field. The best was we are not leaving this field. Like, yeah, <laughs> I think you are. We're not leaving this. <laughs> I think you are. How many, that sounds like something someone coaching 12 year old softball would have done. Thank you very much. I don't think I ever screamed that at young children. <laughs> Listen, we won the national championship. I didn't need to say that, all right? right? You didn't come across another team who was like, we're not leaving the field. Uh, no, I didn't come across that. I came across a bunch of loons over the years, but uh, no, we never had to say that. We were way too good for that. Come on. We were way, yeah, because you were stealing signs out there. You USA national champions 14 and under, my friend. Maybe we, maybe signs. we were given some signs at second on the pitches and stuff. Touch your ear on the on the changeup. Touch the left side of the helmet on the fastball. <laughs> Give location by the way you put your hands. Yeah, anything. <laughs> what are you laughing at? You got to take care of every advantage. Take care. We're a team from Nevada trying to beat California teams. Of course, I have to take advantage of things. Man, if I'm if I'm coaching against you, I'm intentionally balking <laughs> yes, that girl exactly. to third base. Yes, exactly. Get her the hell over you, there. You are changing signs every That's inning. That's right. <laughs> I am not letting you steal my signs. <laughs> Cheater over there. Oh, that would be beautiful. <laughs> Sam Gordon joins the show. Our stats hogwash. Are you tired of hearing Tyler do math on the radio? Call the press box voicemail and let us know. 702-720-4678. There's a flag down on this play. We also got a taunting on 66. It was Well, let's just say it was a... Uh-oh. Yeah, <laughs> cut well, that mic. He cut it off at the last moment. Flag is way back at the Buccaneer 47. Unbelievable. Was there a push or not? Certainly got knocked Ooh, to baby. the ground. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff. Joining us now from the Review Journal is Sam Gordon. All right, Sam, which of the Ravens running backs is going for 100 rushing yards on Monday night? <laughs> That's a great question. I, 
I would have to say Latavius Murray if that thing is official. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know last we, last we saw last night, I know that deal was supposed to be done, but um, he, he, he seems like he's going to be the guy that emerges uh, in the backfield at some point this season. He's, he may be 31, but I think he's still fresh. He's played in two back systems his whole career. He's big, he's physical, and he's the kind of back that, uh, frankly, isn't fun to tackle. So if he's in there uh, week one against the Ravens alongside Lamar Jackson, I think he's going to be the guy. And, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Lamar got loose uh, at top of the century mark uh, either. We know what he can do on the ground and, and, and uh, as, as dangerous of a runner as there is in the NFL today. The, the power ratings, the line, nothing has changed since all of the injuries. Does that surprise you, and do you expect the Ravens to kind of take advantage of that and win? I'm not, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm necessarily surprised. I think the books, you know, understand that, hey, you know, while running backs are important and you certainly want Lamar Jackson to be flanked, uh, with with as many options and uh, as many high end options as possible, that that he's really the um, the foundation of that running game and his his ability to throw in the pocket uh, and, and be dynamic as a passer and also as a runner is really what sparks that offense. And that's not to say um, you know you can just I mean I'm not saying you can just stick any running back in there per se, but I think the, the expectation is this offense is going to be functional um, and successful with their ground game regardless of who's in the backfield. You know as long as you have. Um, somebody reasonable in the backfield, or somebody that's that's you know fresh and in shape uh, in the backfield because of Lamar Lamar Jackson's unique set of talents. So uh, I, I, it doesn't it doesn't change a whole lot in my opinion. Now maybe over the long haul, um, throughout the course of the season, if there's more attrition in the backfield, then yeah, you might be looking at at, at some changes in the way um, that offense is called and the way that offense is viewed. But in week one, as long as as long as Lamar Jackson is healthy. Um, under center, I don't think it matters too much who's back there with him at running back. You can, you can rotate a couple different guys as long as somebody back there is healthy. Uh, I think he's going to be able to ensure that there are going to be some running lanes and, of course, some throwing lanes, too, for him to take advantage of down the field as well. Can Henry Ruggs or Brian Edwards, combination of both, take advantage that Marcus Peters tore his ACL and is out for the season? Well, I think some, one of the two is going to have to, right? I mean, we understand Darren Waller is going to be the focal point of this passing offense, and he's going to demand a considerable amount of attention on Monday, I would presume. Uh, you take a look at Baltimore, they, they understand what kind of player he is. Obviously, he, he's not with them anymore, but, but they, you know, he, he, the seeds of his development started there, and there's no question in my mind that they have a great deal of respect for him. So I, I imagine he's going to see all different kinds of coverages, regardless of where they line him up. And then it's going to be on one of the young receivers to, to take advantage of, of, like you said, of the Marcus Peters injury. I think we've heard, you know, but rave reviews about both guys during training camp. I think both guys had their moments. Um, you know, Henry Ruggs certainly looks a little bit more refined, a little bit more nuanced and polished as a route runner. And then Brian Edwards, it was simply a matter of him getting healthy. We know about the physical tools, the measurables, the frame at, at 6'3 and 220 pounds. Um, but, but, you know, talk is you can only talk so much, right? I mean, the coaches, his teammates can say all they want in the press conferences. It's about getting out there on the field and proving that. And, and so far at this juncture of these guys' careers, you know, while they've certainly had their moments, and had their flashes of brilliance. Uh, that there's there's a whole there's a big difference, you know, flashing brilliance, and then knowing that you're going to be the a focal point of a defensive scheme. Even though you know Waller's going to be the number one option for Baltimore in terms of taking him away, uh, those guys are going to be part of the game plan now, part of the the, the focal point, part of the defensive game plan. Uh, and we're going to have to find out uh, if, if if either one of them can shake free. I guess the answer is I'm not, you know, I'm not really sure. Uh, that, that's what we're going to find out Monday night. But but the stage is set. For those two um, to emerge as, the, as the, the, the number two and number three receiving threats on this offense, respectively, um, outside of Darren Waller, and, and they're going to have the, the, the whole year 
uh, to take advantage of those opportunities. It starts on Monday night against a very, very good defense, even without Marcus Peters. It's Sam Gordon from the Review Journal. Join us here in the press box. Follow him on Twitter at BySamGordon. Stay with football, but go to college. You also cover UNLV. You and I were at the opener. Now uh, 30-plus dogs to Arizona State. Did you see anything in the opener that you think will improve greatly this week, and how do you think things will shake down in Tempe? Um, nothing, nothing drastic, right? Uh, I think there was, there has to be some, I think UNLV fans and the coaching staff has to take some solace in the fact that with Doug Brumfield out there, they were finally able to push the ball down the field and, and show some semblance of offense. I think also having Charles Williams, who's as accomplished as experienced of a running back as there is in the country, the active leader in, in the FBS, uh, I think he gives you some semblance of hope as you can sustain some drives. But in terms of going out of Tempe, you're, you're looking at a young quarterback, making his first start in a hostile environment against the top 25 uh, opponent on the road. I mean, that's a tough, tough task, a very, very, very tall order. Of course, Arizona State, uh, offensively, big-time running game, two running backs uh, that are both dynamic, that are, are both gonna, that can wear you out over the course of the game. Uh, UNLV certainly going to be you know, overmatched in, in that game athletically. I think the line reflects that. If UNLV has, it wants to have any opportunity, um, they're going to have to force a couple turnovers, I think, like they did against Eastern Washington and then really try and control the tempo. Use, use Charles Williams to get Doug Brumfield uh, eased into the game, try and simplify things for the young quarterback, uh, maybe some play action and things like that, and, and try and stay in the game as long as possible. But it is a tall, tall task um, heading, to the, heading on the road against the Power 5 team from the Pac-12. Uh, there's nothing, I, I, I think, against you know, an Eastern Washington team, an FCS opponent, that I, I really think you can you necessarily tangibly draw from that and expect to apply to Arizona State. But... If there is a chance, it's going to start with the running game. It's going to start with the defense being opportunistic like they were against Eastern Washington. Marcus Arroyo said uh, he doesn't want to play two quarterbacks in this game, but given that they are over 30-point underdogs and there's a chance that the offense doesn't look great and doesn't play well, do you think we still see a combination of Doug Brumfield and Justin Rogers in this game? Uh, I think Doug Brumfield would have to look really, really, really bad in order for in order for him to you know for the plug to get pulled, right? I mean, even if the, the Rebels struggle uh, in the first half, I think at, at some point you got to start looking long term and, and and looking down the road at the Mountain West schedule and even possibly beyond this season. And uh, if if Brumfield you know it shows some some flashes the way he did against Eastern Washington, even if the Rebels are struggling, I think he would stand to benefit from those reps and getting a lion's share of those reps. Uh, in the second half, even if the game gets away from the Rebels. Now that said, there's a chance, right? We we we, it's, we haven't seen Brownfield a lot. What if you know he might go out there and really, 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 really struggle, and then you start this whole quarterback conversation over again, like like you did before the season. And if that's the case, uh, then then I, then it wouldn't shock me to see Justin Rogers. But I, I get, again, at some point, I think you got to look long term. And, and Brownfield, uh, you know, at least in Week One, showed uh, enough flashes, I think, to warrant obviously warrant the start this week, and then warrant. You know, so some emphasis on his development moving forward. So uh, I would, I think he'd have to be really, really bad in order for him to get pulled in favor of Justin Rogers in this game. That was sixty-seven reallys. So I think that he must be really bad, and I agree with you that he better be uh, going in uh, to the game. Have you heard anything since anything? We know, you know, we understand. Uh, beat writers get about six seconds to watch this team, but have you heard anything about Tate Martell? Do you think Tate Martell soon is a guy? Uh, that has an ability to play for this team, given his hand surgery, and when could we expect, if at all, to see Tate Martell? At least on my end, things have been you know pretty mum in terms of Tate Martell. I know he didn't get you know many reps um, throughout the course of, of fall camp, and obviously got, comes in behind the eight ball, uh, considering he joined the team when when he, when he did. Um, now, with that in mind, it's an incredibly low risk, high, high uh, reward move 
um, for Marcus Arroyo. I mean, what what what's the harm in bringing in Tate Martell, who at this stage uh, of his career seems to, to to have an understanding of kind of the situation he's in right now and where he's at in his college football career? If if things continue to struggle for Brumfield and Rogers, I think maybe um, you know earlier mid in the middle of the Mountain West schedule that that maybe he maybe Tate Martell gets a look. But but if um, Doug Brumfield develops in a way. Uh, that the Rebels want him to if we continue to see some flashes and some consistency and he looks like a guy that can continue to push the ball downfield and, and has some chemistry with these receivers, uh, I, I think you're going to want to look in the long term. I think, you know, one of the issues that the Rebels have had, you know, throughout the course of the last few years and, and really, in, you know, in the program, with the program dating, dating back quite some time is there's, there's never been really consistency at quarterback. And if you can have a guy, if it's Brumfield, who, can develop it into a three-year starter uh, for you or a four-year starter, given the extra year of eligibility that he'll have in the wake of the COVID year, I think that would be advantageous. So uh, I think his development would really, really, really have to stagnate. Um, again, more really, <laughs> but it would, it would have to really stagnate uh, throughout the course of the first half of the season in order to see Tate Martell. And if that's the case, it, it wouldn't be surprised if we, if we see the former Bishop Gorman star um, midway through the year. But but I, I certainly didn't come in the, come into the season with the expectation that he was going to play or be a focal point. Um, if, if he does, I think it's a reflection of, of the rest of the quarterbacks on the roster. Sam Gordon with us, who also covers the Aces for the Review Journal. We know they have Asia Wilson, assuming Liz Cambage comes back in time for the playoffs. They've got Liz Cambage and Chelsea Gray. They've got three dominant WNBA players. But we're also seeing Kelsey Plum have a career year in terms of points. Jackie Young just had her career high with 29 in a game. Is this team finally deep enough to win a WNBA title? Yeah, yeah, I, I, th- I think so. I think so. I think look at what this, what this roster has. Like you mentioned, you have the top-end talent, the best post-standum in the league, uh, and a veteran uh, all-star, all-WNBA caliber point guard that's been there and done that in terms of winning a championship in, in Chelsea Gray. But you look at the rest of the supporting cast, Yerka Hamby, two-time reigning sixth woman of the year, Kelsey Plum finally, like you mentioned, um, Tyler, in her own now uh, as one of the best, you know, the better um, guards in the league and certainly having a career year off the bench, understands her role, understands the impact she has has a little bit more freedom out there with the second unit to make plays, not only for herself, but for her teammates. Uh, and then Raquana Williams, who Bill Lambeer has pointed to as an X factor, um, especially here late in the season. The Aces have relied on her uh, as a defensive stopper, and she's you know answered the call by shutting down a number of the top um, guards in the WNBA. Uh, but she's a microwave scorer that won't score 50 points in a game and is going to be empowered in the postseason to create her own offense when the game slows down and when the first and second and third options are taken away by, by more advanced um, scouting and defensive game plans. And like you mentioned, Jackie Young now um, was, the number, was the number one overall pick a couple of years ago. Let's not forget about that. You know, had the talent. It was a matter of her finding the confidence and putting it together. Um, so the Aces, I think, you know, playoff basketball is a little different. I think there's, they're, they're legitimately, you have seven, you know, high-end players that you can play. And then Kia Stokes uh, at, at the backup center spot has really done an admirable job filling in for Liz Cambage, playing defense, rebounding, blocking shots, understanding what her role is. I think she's going to be a factor um, in limited minutes in the playoffs as well. So you look at the Aces. Seven, eight deep. This isn't a young team anymore. This is an experienced team, um, ripe with veterans that yeah, several of whom played in the WNBA Finals last year. Um, it's as, as complete of a team as there is in the league, and the championship expectations I think going into the postseason are certainly reasonable um, with where they're at uh, as a franchise in the, on the trajectory. What all are you covering this weekend? And I guess count Monday as the weekend. <laughs> Aces on Monday. Uh, Raiders on Monday night. I will be there as well. And then I'm not making the trip to Tempe, but I will, of course, be following along 
um, with the Rebels as they as they play Arizona State. So it's a little bit of everything these days, but it but it keeps everything fun and it keeps me on my toes. For come sure. on, come on, Sammy, you'll be watching the Dodgers Padres. No, you're not watching you and Come on, you're really, really, really going to do that? I don't think so. I don't think so. <laughs> He's Sam Gordon from the Review Journal. Sam, thank you. Thanks, Sammy. Appreciate it, guys. Thank there you. Have a great weekend. You too. I'm going to see him okay. like at everything. <laughs> Have a great weekend. I'm like, Sam, I'm, I'm going to see you like in an hour. <laughs> I got to ask, what does Adam Hill cover if he's covering? No, they both, they both cover a ton of things in our paper. Adam Hill covers everything else. Yes. Raiders, so, like, UFC. Women's Javelin and UFC. Mm-hmm. Covers a lot. Is there a UFC fight here this weekend? I don't know. They usually have one every weekend I somewhere. I don't know yeah. where this weekend is, but they have something somewhere. But Adam will uh, be Are focused in on football this weekend. Focused in on football. Focused in. Oh, boy. All right. Coming up next, you guys got $1.7 million to spend on fake horses? Oh, good God. Second touchdown to Rob where he released and, and then went over. Was that improvised? Was that the yeah. design? No, that was uh, not the design. So there was a lot of things that were off on that play. But one of... One of a few where we just quite didn't execute things the way that we were hoping. And, um, you know, I'm glad we made the play. But, again, it's, you can't live on those. And I think, you know, the margin of error is thin in the NFL. And one or two plays, it's always that's the way the game goes. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. So you're telling me you guys don't have $1.7 million? No. I have $1 in my wallet. What about $1.70? Let's see. Could you find the $0.70 somewhere, Jared? I Maybe like my car's cup holder. Okay. That's good. Ed is, Ed is actually pulling. You have cash? Look at that. Oh, that's good into the microphone. Two dollars. Two bucks, baby. <laughs> so between Jared and I, we can buy a hoof. A fake hoof. So... There's a group of three guys who got together and bought 16 fake horses from Zed. My wonderful NFTs that I own some fake horses as well. But these three guys bought 16 horses. And they bought, like, the top end. Like, these are Z1 Nakamoto Genesis horses. For these 16 horses, they spent $1.7 million to buy 16 fake horses. Is there any way the guy with the chickens are, is involved in this? No, these are different people from the guy who spent a uh, million, about eight hundred thousand. Yeah, uh, yeah, almost a million dollars. But the key difference there, the guy who spent about a million dollars on chickens got, I think, forty five hundred chickens. Like he bought a bunch of chickens. This is sixteen horses, sixteen for one point seven million. These horses dollars. have already raced. I actually don't know. I don't know which horses exactly were or they sold bred here. by the best horses. They were probably well. They are the best. These are like the first generation, the first drop that they ever did with the horses. These are those horses. Sixteen of them, anyways. This is not fake horse. This is not fake horse or high card that we run <laughs> and get excited when they won win twenty five dollars for us. These are presumably going to be much more successful than that. I actually don't one. know which horses they are, but one point seven million. Some so. Here's the thing that's amazing about this. These horses, like back in 2019 is when this fake horse racing started. game started. And these horses were probably initially sold for about $400 each. The ones that these guys just bought? Yes. Because they're and first now, generation? And now 16 of them sold for one. That's what? About 100000 125000 
per horse. And they initially were bought for about $400. I mean, I tend to be like, Jared, I, I don't even know how to comment. Like, I don't even know what to uh, say. No, I just, I had rice for dinner last <laughs> night. <laughs> I had a BLT. <laughs> I just, I don't, I don't know, $1.7 million for these fake horses. I'm, I'm more interested in... Maybe I'm not, but I am. I'm more interested in talking to the guy who bought the chickens. Like, I'd love to get that guy or girl. I don't know who it is. I mean, you, you were saying it's not really, it's, you don't really know if it's a guy or girl. It's just they have, the just screen, you have a screen it's name and copy. you have no idea who the person yeah. could be. Um, but it'd be fascinating to ask that guy 800000 900000 on chickens that don't even exist yet. Like, do you just have so much money? You just have you have no idea what to do, so you just do that. It has to be that, right? I mean, there's no way. Is it truly? Do you truly believe because you're into this that the 1.7 million in their minds is an investment over long long term? It has to be because I don't think people with this much money, I think, are you know investing. So, is this an investment or is this just these guys who have fallen in love like you have with the fake horses and they want the best ones because they want to win all the races? I think they view it as an investment. Absolutely. Like the, the guy, so I have, so to, how long it is, how long is it to recoup the money for 1.7 million? It's a long time. It's a long time. It's a really long time. Yeah. Like this is, this is going to be years. Yeah. Uh, th- yeah. Basically. Yeah. Because if These you're guys gonna, might not be friends by the end of this. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Because if you're going to, so if you're going to recoup a $1.7 million in this, you like racing them, even if they're super successful every day, it's going to be tough. Like, it's going to be tough to get that much money back on it because, again, you have to pay to race. Right. So if you right. don't win, you you lose more money in it. Now, presumably, they're buying good horses, so they should win enough that they profit when they race. But it's still, you're still sort of playing in the margins there to do it off breeding, which is still valuable. That's That's where the money is made. But still, to do it off breeding, they've made it a little bit harder to make money off of breeding. It's, it costs more money to breed now than it did in the past. So... It's still difficult to do it, especially when you're talking about making back $1.7 million. How much time do you spend on this a week, do you think? Um, do you want me to include the chickens and the horses? No, just the horses. Just the horses? Uh, Probably an hour or two a day. So, Wow. Okay. Seven to 14 So these guys are four dudes who bought it for this much money who, like you said, if it is an investment to recoup it, I cannot imagine the amount of time breeding, uh, racing, doing all that, selling them or, you know, breeding them to sell that they would spend on this. Yeah. So, okay. If they're serious about it. Just looking through the guys. So I have the Twitter handles of the four guys that got in on Oh, this. really? Yeah. They, oh. like one of them is like entrepreneur, tech visionary. The other one is like co-founder of Electric Family, which is like they buy NFTs together and stuff like that. So... This is their job. Okay. This is the, This they, is what these people so do. So you all saw day. no Twitter handles that said Sports Talk Radio. Host. No. Yes. <laughs> no. This is their job. These are a bunch of guys that personify wanker. Yeah. Like I. When you said tech, I'm like, oh, yeah. now I get the 1.7 million. Like I'm at home, like you know, putting our rundown together, and then oh, I got a horse race coming up. These guys <laughs> are waking up the at track. 4 a.m. to do this all day. Oh.